All right. Good afternoon. Hello, 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 everyone. I'm your host, Nika Shirell, and this is the ITCAST Real Talk on Sex. The mm-hmm. ITCAST is our community outreach podcast that aims to increase diversity in conversations on health and sexuality. Through this work, we are creating a world where all people feel loved, honored, and respected. We have an Instagram contest going on right now where we are competing for a spot on the Bay Area's top 30 women to watch list of small business owners. Please find us on Instagram at Nika Shirell to learn more. This March, we are hosting the second iteration of the Power of Touch Healing and Pleasure series with Queen Mutima Imani. Uh, you can learn more about this and support all the work that we do at theitcast.com. Subscribe to this YouTube channel and share with your community. All right, so today in the booth, we have Ali Bravo, and we're going to be talking about real talk on belonging. Yes, Ali. <laughs> Hello. Hello. <laughs> Ali is an artist, leather worker, and seamstress. After working for a handbag designer for years, she recently launched her own business called Raptrix, where she makes small batch leather bondage gear out of upcycled leather and other sustainable leather alternatives. She's also a leader and organizer of For Love, an organization striving to build equitable, trauma-informed, and privilege-informed spaces for sexual liberation. She is fascinated by the intersection between kink and trauma transformation. She also facilitates groups exploring embodiment and self-acceptance. Ali is passionate about honoring the full spectrum of ourselves so that we may honor the same in others and is a fierce advocate for everyone's worthiness to feel pleasure and at home in their bodies. Word. Thank you. Thank you for being on the show. Mm, So happy to be here. Yes. So uh, go ahead and tell us a little bit about yourself and why you chose to do the show. Mm, Well, it was so delightful to have you um, on our most recent, um, I just organized a big event through For Love called Love Skills, in which we had 14 unique experiences. around yeah sexual liberation erotics and you we had you come on and give an incredible um chat on shame and so um just so grateful for the connection and yeah just when you asked me to be on the show I'll just talk a little bit about uh following my fear um really quickly and how fear is a friend of mine and it really is an invitation for me to get out of my comfort zone um and is uh, where where what to lean into to like grow and stretch myself and so when you asked me to come on today I had that that little that little fear voice and I was like all right we gotta do it Um, (laughs) diving in I love that you know and it's like I've been following my intuition a lot lately and you're right like the thing on the other side of that fear is the thing that excites us the most. Yes. Uh, So yeah, yeah. be friends with your fear, (laughs) y'all. All right. So give us a little bit about your background, um, you know, who you are and where you began this journey. Yeah, totally. So um, I was born in Berkeley, Ohlone land, and I currently live um, in Tahoe, which is Washishu or Washoe land and have lived here most of my life. Um, But I am the daughter of a Chilean immigrant and an American mother. And you know, when I started going to elementary school up here at that time, all of the Latinx kids were in one school and then all the white kids were in another school. And I grew up bilingual. My first word was la luz, which means light in Spanish. Um, And it was something that I never knew made me different until I started going to school up here. And at that point, I was the only, I was the only one that spoke Spanish. And I very quickly learned that if I was going to fit in and like, you know, fly under the radar enough to that, that, uh, you know, that that was something that I had to let go of. And I actually asked my father to stop speaking Spanish to me, um, which breaks, which breaks my heart. Um, and uh, he listened. <laughs> and so it was, you know, something that, yeah, that, that just separate, se- severed me from my heritage so that I could, 
um, have the illusion of, of belonging. Right. Um, and so, you know, so much of my story is, is a reclamation, um, of, of belonging and of like reclaiming my heritage and of, of recognizing the systems of oppression that are in place that like, that sever us from things in order to like assimilate and in order to, to gain belonging. Yeah. Um, yeah. Yeah. And, and belonging in this sense in which you're talking about it is really like, like what I hear in that is a way to access privilege. It's like that was right. shedding, yeah, shedding something very critical about who you are as a way to attain acceptance in this very strictured and unaccepting world. Right. And, you know, and just so much acknowledgement of the immense amount of privilege that I do carry, you know, and of the distinction like of privileges that we that we can take on or off right like hi i'm a, like I'm a, I'm, a, I'm a white girl you know like i was able to take off my language you know my mother tongue um to easily fit in and just like really like deep recognition of that is not an option um for many for most <laughs> you know um so yeah just just a, a deep acknowledgement of that Thank you. Thank you for that. And that's very real. You know, like it's something that I think we're beginning to talk about a little bit more as we break the white normative paradigm, but it's, it's deeply rooted in the entire context of the planet, if I'll be completely honest. Yeah. <laughs> um, now, I def let's talk a little bit about segregation. Yes. Like, I feel like we think that segregation, segregation is something that ended in like the 60s or something like way back then. And I'm like, neither of us look like we're in our 70s right now. So <laughs> when, when was your experience with segregation? Yeah. So I started, I started elementary school in 1995. Um, and it was, it was geographical se segregation where, you know, like a lot of the local Latinx population is centered in one, like one area of Tahoe. And then, you know, um, the more affluent and white <laughs> are, you know, elsewhere. And, um, so I actually like have a, you know, a, a deep a story about this. So my, my mother, um, she quit her job in San Francisco and moved here to like be here more full time with us. Um, I think probably when I was like eight or nine, so like 1998, 1999, and she joined the school board. And so this was, yeah, like late, late nineties. And they started an initiative to start a Spanish immersion program, which was amazing. So in the Spanish immersion program, kindergarten is um, taught all in Spanish. And so, yeah. Yes. Okay. And it's, and then they, and then the first grade is taught 90% in Spanish, 10% in English. And so it forms these deep bonds with these kids because they have to like, you know, come together and like, you know, like that, the little, the little white kid that can't speak Spanish has to get a buddy, right. To help him like survive. <laughs> And it, and it, it's beautiful. And then like everyone is fluent in both Spanish and English. It's an incredible program, but in the effort to make this happen, they literally at the board meeting, all, all of the racist effery came out at the, at the board meeting, literally when they're, they're voting to like integrate this system um, and, and institute this program, there was notes when they came back to their desk that said, we know where you live, make the right choice like blatant racism right. in, yeah in in almost you know the 21st century yeah, yeah. so that's that's very real that's very very real, real. Um, very real. that whole like neighborhood schooling too it's like there are these insidious ways to like perpetuate segregation and they don't call it segregation anymore you know right. like these different things that they do to isolate and keep communities apart or again, isolated. Yes. Um, very real. It's very much happening everywhere. Right. <laughs> everywhere, <laughs> even today. <laughs> even today. Um, mm, yeah. And I think that's one of the big things that has us not feel like we belong. Mm -hmm. is that conversation of like, you have to let go of this or you have to, you can only belong over there. You don't yeah. get to belong everywhere in the world. Yeah. Um, so you mentioned that you abandoned your heritage and mm -hmm. I think that's something like to a degree happens to a lot of us. Yeah. Um, 
in addition to that, like, what are some other, what are some other things that you see that we do to feel worthy or be worthy? Oh, yeah, this is a big one. I guess this is a good place to talk about, you know, my relationship with my bot, my body and the, the severance that, um, that I believe our society inflicts upon us in our relationships with, with our bodies. So another, um, another way I experienced, you know, ostracization and, um, bullying and, you know, pain was around the size of my body. And I've existed, um, in a larger body for most of my life. And that was a deep place of, of not feeling like I belong in of our, and of society telling me I'm not worthy. Right. Because we elevate like an able-bodied white, um, white bodies. Right. And so living in a larger body was, was not okay. Um, and was something that I like experienced, like, you know, deep body dysmorphia and like eating disorders all over the spectrum. And, you know, was always, uh, scrambling for worthiness. Right. Cause our, our, there's a story that if you can, if you can just be thin, right. There's this, like, (laughs) you can just be, you know, you know, thin, white, able-bodied. And I had the white and able-bodied part, but I didn't have the thin part. But so if I could just attain that, then, um, I would have the perfect life. I'd have the perfect boyfriend, you know, everything, everything would be smooth sailing. Right. Right. Picket fence, all the social norms, like, and then you should be happy. (laughs) (laughs) That's the pursuit of happiness. I'm on the pursuit of wholeness. Oh, thank you. Thank you. You know, those social norms, it's like, they shut us down and they don't let us connect with ourselves. So like, I also, like, I I have grown up in a larger body. I'm still in a larger body. And it Mm -hmm. took me some time to accept that. Mm -hmm. Um, Over the years, um, I've gone through numerous things. Like, I currently currently have had weight loss surgery. Mm -hmm. And it affects my digestive system. Mm -hmm. So I don't talk to a lot of people about this. But it feels a lot like a surgically induced bulimia. Mm -hmm. Like, I can't hold and manage and process my food in a healthy way because I needed to be thin and it wasn't even my story that I was taking on it was like everyone else was telling me hey do this if you don't do this you'll be fat your whole life and it's like well guess what I'm still fat (laughs) and it's my life and being and it's okay to be fat And like people have fat, it's synonymous with, I'm sorry, thin synonymous with health and all these other like strictured things that actually don't make any sense. No. No. Um, And it's dangerous. It's dangerous. It's very dangerous. Yeah. Yeah. You know, and it's deep and it's deeply tied, you know, to systems of oppression, especially racism. Um, Sabrina Strings has an incredible book that I'm like coming, that I'm, that I'm, reading that's all about um, how anti-fatness is tied to anti-blackness and how the two evolved together. And it was a way to like separate and like demonize and, you know, like, um, and at the same time where like rich, thin Protestant white women were taught, like, you must be thin in order to like, you know, be closer to God and like conform and like, and distinguish yourself. And yeah, it's, so it's, they're all so deeply intertwined, you know, it's the orgy of doom, if you will. (laughs) (laughs) Is this a reference to something I should know? (laughs) No, (laughs) you know, you know, talking about like cis capitalistic white hetero, like patriot, you know, like, I'm just like, they're, they're all, they're all in a like, (laughs) I love it. I love it. And you're, you're absolutely right. Like that whole construct, I never thought about it. The, the idea that like black women's bodies, you know, like they're thick, they're curvy, they're voluptuous. Uh, we have ass, like things like that. And yeah. those were ways to specifically distinguish black bodies from white bodies. Mm-hmm. You know, like I think back to the hot and top Venus, which was right, this, exactly like, that whole conversation. Um, and so what you're saying makes so much sense. And it, I got like this, these are things that impact us, like in that pleasure place, you know, like 
I'm not like, I'm not going to distinguish this as separate from like separate from our connection with ourselves, our sexuality, any of that, because when it's shut down and we're told we're not worthy long enough, we'll shut ourselves off from human connection and intimacy. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, and, and the way that it manifested for me being in a larger body where that was told I was not worthy, that it actually hypersexualized me in a way that I wasn't taking care of myself. So that like, so suddenly sex became a way for me to gain worthiness, you know? And so, um, I, you know, uh, I was a slut. I'm absolutely still a slut proudly. Um, <laughs> but I now I'm now I'm a, a very like conscious, um, and loving, you know, like, like self-loving slut, but the ways in which it manifested was, you know, I, I, I put myself in situations and, you know, you know, put my body in situations and encounters with people like in, in that my, I might not have wanted or in ways like I just, I became hypersexual um, and didn't take care of myself in order to gain worthiness was like existing in a fat body was like, okay, well, if I, if my body's not worthy, then like, if I, if I have sex with enough people, then, then will I be worthy? Right. That validation. Yeah. Yeah. Um, yeah, totally. And, and it's, it's that, yeah. <laughs> so I, and, and just like in a way that wasn't focused on my own pleasure, you know, like where I was, I was, um, that I, I felt like I had to give my partners pleasure and that there was no, there was no, I was so disembodied from my own sexuality, from my own like orgasm, from like all of these things, like completely disassociated, um, in, yeah. in just, I, I hold, I hold that little tender version of myself and, and so, so lovingly, um, because, it's brutal. <laughs> yeah. And like, we get these messages at such a young and impressionable age. So I was told things, oh my God, like definitely fat girls are easy because fat girls are desperate. Mm-hmm. And then of course, like someone actually pointed this out to me because it did not register my whole life, but there is this context of like the lighter you are, the pretty you, prettier you are. And there's this saying, the blacker the berry, the sweeter the juice. Mm. And that's ultimately like saying, it's okay that you have dark skin, at least you have good pussy. That's what leads to that type of validating, like that seeking validating, that needing to feel worthy behavior when you're that (sighs) disempowered. Yeah. And who you get to be. Yeah. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Deep breath. (laughs) (sighs) Yeah. So, um, yeah, so there is, so this leads to trauma. Like that's one of those deep conversations. It's like, okay, so we got this worthiness context. We're doing this yeah. stuff to our bodies to try and feel validated, be validated. And there is a long-term impact of trauma there. Oh, yes. Yeah. Absolutely. Like, yeah, no, I just, um, yeah. I mean, it, the body keeps the score, you know, it, it lives in our body. It lives in the way that we, we move through the world and, you know, um, I just want to bring it back to kind of like, yeah, stories and, um, the ways in which those, those things live with us. And, and, you know, my, my own, like, I'd love to like share my own unfolding with, with my body and how I came to be here now. And, um, you know, so I tried a million times over the years in order to, you know, to lose weight in order to, but, but was doing it in super unhealthy ways that were not sustainable. Right. And then, but I would, I would be get thin and people would tell me how amazing I looked, even though I was addicted to drugs and doing super, you know, not okay things with food and exercise. And so the story became like, oh, like I'm killing, I'm literally killing myself right now, but, but, but I'm thin. And so I'm, I have that worthiness and that external validation. And so that was just like a vicious cycle for many years. And um, I ended up fate brought me, my fear brought me, um, to an incredible program that, uh, met on this really magical piece of land. 
and one weekend a month for 10 months. And it was, it transformed my entire life. And, um, one day we were, we would go on these like hours long wanders, you know, through on this beautiful property and, you know, and nature was something that like living in a big body, I was told I didn't belong. You know, I live, I live in paradise and, but didn't, but didn't belong. Like I did the break. Cause all the REI ads are <laughs> <laughs> right. You know, <laughs> Yeah, I got, I like bought my first pair of hiking boots and felt like an imposter, you know, and, and, um, but I was on this beautiful property and, and, uh, we were invited by the steward of the land to cut new trails. And so here I go into the bushes with my, with my clippers and my saw and start like, like hacking my way through the bushes. And I got really tired, you know, cause I wasn't used to being physical like this. And because, you know, like being in a big body, you don't want to go to the gym because of the fear of judgment of like, look at that fat girl trying to lose weight. Right. Oh There's, yeah. And so I sat down on the earth and I like, honestly, I can't describe it anything other than an epiphany. Right. And I could see the ways in which all, all of the, all of the ways in which I tried to like transform my body in the past had been, uh, trying to get that carrot that's dangled, like, and that carrot is worthiness and worthiness is, is on the end of the stick and it's never attainable. Cause as soon as you get to that next goal, there's, there's the target, it's a moving target and could see that like, okay, I'd, I'd worked out in the past so I could get a bikini body. Right. But then, you know, I, the, I wouldn't find worthiness there. And so the target would move. And I was like, wait a minute, like, I want to move my body so that I can feel strong so that I can like move, move my body up a mountain, you know, so that I can, I can, you know, see the, the magnificence of just existing in a body and like how, what a gift that is, you know, and how many factors combined like to, to, to take our first breaths on this earth and move, you know, and, and just realize that, that worthiness doesn't have a currency that the only prerequisite for worth is existing. And I just felt this like deep knowingness and like, was like, there is absolutely nothing wrong with my body in the way that it is now. And I, and I got up off the ground and I cut my way through the bushes and I like showed up to our circle, like cut and bleeding <laughs> and scratched and like covered in dirt. And, um, yeah, that was my first day becoming a trailblazer and like cutting, cutting through the stories. And it just, it changed everything about my entire life. Just the way that I moved through the world. I started just like honoring this vessel and like taking incredible care of myself and like acknowledging another moment to acknowledge my privilege that I live in a place where I have incredible access to fresh organic produce and to the outdoors and to things that like a lot of people don't have access to. And so, and like, and the, and the disposable income in order to like spend that extra money on myself and like all of those things, you know, and my, and my body totally changed, you know? Um, and I like lost a ton of weight, like, and, you know, all of a sudden, however, my body changed dramatically. And suddenly there was a whole new set of insecurities, right? Mm -hmm. There was like my, my giant breasts that like, as a bigger woman was like, like, you know, oh, I'm big, but at least I have giant boobs and like have that sexiness, right? Like those completely went away and my skin started to sag. And so suddenly I was losing weight, but I now was bumping up against our stories around like age and being like tight and tight and tucked and deep, you know, and was like, oh, no one's free from this, right? right. We all like no one, like <laughs> the, the, the like supermodels are the most insecure among us. And, and, and that's the lie. Right. There's a $450 billion beauty industry with a vested interest in us hating ourselves. Yes. Like, F that. <laughs> <laughs> that is so, 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 so real. And like, you know, you kind of, you blew my mind there with the like being in nature as mm. someone in a larger body and what that looks and feels like. And the truth of the matter is there's all this propaganda that like, well, if you get out and you exercise and so forth and so on, you'll be thin. And then there's that, like the other side of that where it's like, but you actually have to be thin for us to appreciate and value you in these spaces. Yeah. And so like, where is that crossover and that opportunity? And also not everybody's supposed to be that damn thin. Absolutely not. Or that damn tall or light yeah. or yeah. have that straight of hair. <laughs> you can change 
every single health metric, you can completely transform your cholesterol, like your blood pressure, all of these things and not lose a single pound. Yes. You know, like the, 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 ugh, the marriage between fat and fat and health, like they need a divorce. Let's divorce them right now. Like get <laughs> <laughs> no, no alimony, no child. Yeah. Support. Not, yeah, yeah. <laughs> Separate separate, you know, um, I, I was at my doctor's office once and became completely like incensed at like, there was, there was like a wash your hands poster. And then there was a BMI chart and the BMI chart had like, these are all of the ways in which being fat is like terrible for you. And that was it. There wasn't uh no smoking. There wasn't uh like get outside, move your body. Like it was just BMI. And like, BMI was invented by a Belgian astronomer who wanted to like examine, like, you know, like BMI is a lie. <laughs> right. Right. <laughs> BMI takes nothing like takes, does not take into account like any, like, yeah, let's throw BMI out the window. But right. how many times have I felt, you know, ashamed of my BMI? Right. Right. No, and even the words. It's more important than your weight. It's more important, like all these things. And it's like, what's, what's that factor? And so for my height, they told me I was supposed to weigh like 93 pounds. And I was like, I carry 93 pounds in my bra. Like, where's the rest of me supposed to go? And all of those numbers are based on white men. That's, (laughs) I could talk for hours, but yeah. Yeah. But but the thing is, the truth is we need this level of belonging to feel secure, to feel connected. Um, You know, it's actually one of those core survival things. So yeah, yeah, to be able to know that you're safe in community. Right. And the, and the ways in which, you know, we are taught to sever from our own body wisdom in order to like squish ourselves into that, you know, like very specific mold and like the tragedy of that. And so I'm just, I'm so very grateful that I woke up, you know, and I'm, um, I, I, one of my purposes in this life is to like help people love themselves exactly as they are. And like the way that I do it is like doing it for myself you know, and, and leading by example. And, um, yeah. Yeah. Um, mm. you mentioned with, uh, the program that you did, we talked about like, you know, the privilege to even having access to that. And like, I talked about educational privilege and all these things, like there are these things that do shift and then there's things that cannot possibly shift. Um, yeah you mentioned how like the truth is we all deserve to do the work like Mm -hmm. it's something that is so critical and so inspiring and I think that we often separate ourselves from things of value that can support us because we believe that they don't belong to us yeah that's someone else's thing and I can't have any or I don't want any (laughs) is another one (laughs) Totally. And so like we're further separating ourselves from each other and from a lot of the resources that make a difference. Like I've gone as at times in my life when it worked for me, I've been able to go and do so many different retreats and classes and things to enhance my relationship with myself. Yeah. And that is a level of privilege that a lot of people never actually get to. Yeah. So many. It's, it's brutal. It's truly like, yeah. The like access, right. There's, there's so many ways to heal ourselves. There's so many ways to like unwind trauma and like, and all of these things, there's like so many barriers to entry and it breaks my heart. I want to shout out, uh, the arc program in Tahoe. Um, they, they like are a nonprofit and they, um, take underprivileged youth into, into the, into nature and like, and have these incredible like educational and like writing programs, like in nature. And like, you know, that's, it's so much of my own journey has been, um, has, uh, nature is so deeply tied right to my, to my own, to my own journey. Um, and then also ski duck are awesome. I, I haven't seen them doing stuff since the pandemic, but like they, they get bus loads of kids up here from like Reno and Sacramento and they like give them ski gear and ski tickets. And, you know, it's, it's beautiful to watch the joy, you know, like, and everyone should have access to that joy. And like, 
and to the, uh, to the majesty of what's like, what sunshine does for us. Right. You know, and what trees do for us, like study after study speaks to how spending two hours a week, and they don't even have to be consecutive, um, time. Like it can be 15 minutes one day and a half hour the next day, just two hours a week spent in nature, like improves health across every measurable aspect. Right. And yeah, those, that, that, that orgy of doom intersects in so many ways that many do not have access to that. And that's real. Yeah. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) Oh, um, that's so real. And like, and again, these things get in, they get ingrained in us at such a young age. And we carry them, we carry them forward. And the shame of that is really, really hard to break. Um, going back to the magnet, sorry, the neighborhood school conversation at the yeah. beginning. Um, when that happened for me, I was in Kansas City and yeah. it was still very segregated, whether we want to admit or talk about it or not. And it's not even based on neighborhood schools. It's just, that's your neighborhood, that's your neighborhood, this is our neighborhood. <laughs> like it's very specific. And all the schools are in that zone. So it's not where you go uh, based on that. But what they wanted to do in the primary school district in Kansas City, which was predominantly African-American, they wanted to take away all the specialized magnets. So like there was a vocational school, there was a college prep school. I went to the fine and performing arts school. Mm-hmm. Like there was African-centered education school. There were all these different schools that you could choose from to empower your life. And they wanted to break down that system and create this, you have to go to the school in your neighborhood, in your direct neighborhood. And I actually, (laughs) I actually went down to the school board and spoke to the superintendent and was like, you cannot do this. If you Mm -hmm. take away these schools, you're going to be taking away these opportunities from especially black people. And that's just telling them the only way you can succeed is through sports or the military. which it's designed that way right so (laughs) and what was and what was the response to that that ended that conversation we kept our magnet schools and (gasps) to this day we still have our magnet schools because we belong we belong in every aspect of the world and the culture and the thought process that is available yeah so and access and opportunity is transformative (laughs) when we when we have our basic needs met like we can thrive and we can shine and we can flourish and blossom and bloom we need the opportunity you know like and and we need to give it to those that have been historically severed from it yeah yeah um all right so the whole the spaces where we we actually get to belong. Before I go there, you just reminded me, and I have to always shout this out when it's relevant, Maslow's hierarchy of needs. Right. Like it's, it looks like the food pyramid, the, you know, on the first level, it talks about like our basic survival needs, you know, like shelter, food, water, like the very base of it. And so many people only live in that space belonging is like the third tier and like these are all things we need to survive but it's like are you surviving or are you able to move to a point where you can thrive right um so yeah I'm just like (laughs) yeah when we're worried about this we can't actually feel and be with each other right um so we talked earlier about like abandoning the heritage and yeah, you know, like all those different things. Let's talk about reclaiming that. Mm, yeah, totally. I'd love that. Um, yeah. So reclaiming my Spanish has been a big one, you know, and, and so for such a long time, I felt deep shame around not knowing Spanish. Cause like, you know, most of my father's family is in, is in Chile still. And like, I have like 36 cousins, you know, who all speak English better than I do. And so like in the reverse of that, I felt 
such deep shame around not like not speaking it. And like, literally, I remember I used to have a trauma response in my body when someone would assume I spoke Spanish and spoke it to me and like, like would panic. Like there was so much like opposing stories and like shame and fear inside of my body. Like where like, you know, like so much of it is in, is ingrained in, you know, and I've studied it. I studied it in, in high school. I studied it in college, but the speaking at the expression, you know, there was just this like bottleneck on my throat. Um, I'm actually wearing, this is lapis lazuli <laughs> from, from Chile, um, on my, on my throat, you know, I've, I've had a beautiful, beautiful unlocking of my throat, um, and of my voice and of my expression and, um, you know, yeah, to just speak to that. Like I, I also had a big thing around singing. Uh, I had a disastrous high school play in which I choked and went really bad. And like, I remember like seeing this, 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 uh, my friend's big sister who I idolized in the front row and her laughing at me. And so like, I shut it down. Right. And it was summer solstice, I believe probably three years ago when I was at this gathering and there was people sharing songs and poetry. And, and it was the, it was the, the cool kid archetype that's, that scares me. And, uh, my fear once again, um, there was like, does anyone else want to share? And my heart started beating out of my chest. And I was like, I was like, wow. Like, and I spoke to it, like all of you intimidate me greatly, but so this is a really big deal. And I sang a song and I sang a song in Spanish. Um, and it was literally like, I stuck a key in my throat and turned the lock. And like, since then have like found my voice, but finding my voice was very much connected to reclaiming my mother tongue. Um, and I've unwound so many of those stories. Shout out to my dear friend, Heather, uh, who I've been studying Spanish with for over a year now. Um, who's, who's amazing. So <sighs> I could feel like that embodied trauma. <laughs> yes. Like I can feel the release. Um, mm, yeah, I, I have stories myself and mm-hmm. it feels really good to like open up that space and yeah. mm, not hold anything back. Yeah. Yeah. Oh yeah. Mm. Um, all right. The, your story <laughs> totally teared me up for the record. <laughs> Good, great. Vulnerability is my favorite drug. Bring it on. (laughs) Um, um, Oh my God. This actually, okay. So this reminds me and, and people who dance salsa out there are going to have to tell me if this is true or not, (laughs) but talking about like embodiment, I have heard that people who dance salsa or who actually dance in that, like, I am free sort of way. Like actually, well, salsa specifically have stronger pelvic floors, suffer from less vaginal dryness, like all these different things. And I feel like here when I dance, like in this culture or in any culture in the U.S. that I've been in, it's very like you have to get it right. It has to be structured. It has to look like this. Like you can't just move in your body. (laughs) right and have it look weird right and yeah Yeah. like there's there's so much there there's so much and I feel like there are these cultures that do like this communal thing and it doesn't it doesn't it's not about the one person shining and having the spotlight and looking great but like the communal energy and that vibe and that inclusion you know it's like I hear that when you're talking about like the song circle and the poetry and the love it's like this is what we're talking about like that yeah. coming together in celebration. In celebration, yeah. And the power of like, of witnessing and of being witnessed, you know, and like, and creating spaces in which to do that with one another and like how transformative that is, um, you know, to, to, to create spaces in which we feel safe enough to be vulnerable with, with one another and, and, you know, how impactful that can be. Um, yeah, it's, it's magical. <laughs> yeah. Uh, um, mm. So let's talk. So creativity. <laughs> yeah. Let's get into it. <laughs> <laughs> like we're both artists 
and art is a great way to like express and to feel and to discover your worthiness and so many other things so share please yeah. tell us about your art and the things you, I'm very excited for the record all the things you do <laughs> yeah, I love that um yeah so I am an artist of many mediums um you know I I I clean skeletons. I, um, <laughs> I paint, I do, I do all kinds of, of art. Um, but my most developed and longstanding art is sewing. And, um, it's this really beautiful tie to my lineage in that my grandmother in Chile was a seamstress and she taught my father how to sew. And when I was five years old, he bought me my first sewing machine and yeah, and taught me how to sew. And it was something that, you know, I took, I took one class with a bunch of old ladies that they were like hesitant to have me in the class. I remember we like made like an American flag, like patchwork pillow. Um, I was super young and, but that was kind of my only, any sort of formal training. And it was something that like was totally self-taught, totally clumsy, you know, but like got really excited to like sew my own Halloween costumes. And then, you know, started going to places like Burning Man and sewing my own costume there and making costumes for friends, but it wasn't something like my art wasn't something that society told me, you know, I could, I could do or support myself with, you know? Um, and so, you know, I followed the, the college industrial (laughs) complex of, of like, you know, like, okay, you're smart. You like, you take good test grades. Like you, you go to college, like that's what you do. And so, you know, I did that, but it was just such like going through the motions because that's what the story is to like be a successful human, you know? Um, and so it wasn't fulfilling obviously. And, you know, moved back, moved back here after college and was in a deep depression. It was, that was dark. It was a very dark place, um, that I was in. And one day I was sitting at my sewing machine and, I like went into what I now know is to be a flow state, right. That just like total, like centeredness, like my, my mind that was the monkey mind that had been going nonstop was suddenly like, and I just got this burst of inspiration as like, maybe you can support yourself with your art. Like maybe that can, you know, be fulfilling. Like imagine that. (laughs) Um, And and I, I, Right. Yeah. And so I moved, uh, to the Bay back to the Bay area, um, and went to fashion school and it was amazing. Like I'm such a nerd and to get something that like, I had a deep kind of like, you know, self-taught relationship with, and then get to like study it and to like nerd out on like, you know, when you're doing pattern drafting, the the angle that you hold your pencil matters because it can add a 16th of an inch and like, it was, it was incredible, you know, like learning all the rules so that I could break them better, if you will. Um, deeply, like deeply, deeply nourishing and amazing. Um, and then fate once again, brought me back to Tahoe and, uh, a family friend who's a leather worker asked me to come work for her. And, and she's a handbag designer who's been doing it for over 20 years now. And so I had this beautiful language of, you know, for me, sewing is alchemy, right? You're like taking two different things and you're weaving them together and like creating a whole new magic thing. Um, and so, but leather was, that was an entirely new language. And she taught me the language of leather, um, cause it's a whole different beast than fabric. And so we formed this really beautiful symbiotic relationship. Um, and I've been making handbags for her for five or six years now. And, um, about two years ago, almost to the, you know, like I think February, like the beginning of February, two years ago, I, I met someone and he and I hit it off and, um, found an opportunity to kind of explore some kink, you know, some kink stuff that I'd been, you know, intrigued by, but, but hadn't found someone, you know, compatible or, or whatnot. And, and we were like getting all excited for this date. And I was like, Oh, well, I'm a leather worker. I have all the hardware. Like, why don't I make myself like some like handcuffs and collar, you know, cause they're so expensive or, you know, um, and, and so I did and, and felt that same, like embodied, like that, that flow state, like just that really magical, like, like, you know, combining different, different worlds, right. Like combining my creativity with my sexuality and like feeling it in my pussy, like, you know, and, um, 
and the, the date didn't work out, um, long, you know, that didn't work out, but I had this new, like excitement, this new, like inspiration and, you know, through the handbag production, we have a lot of scrap and like, we'll make things like little bags and little stuff. Um, but, but, you know, we'd get garbage bags full in the garage, you know? And I was like, I have all of this raw material that, that I get to upcycle. So not only is it like, you know, it's good for the earth and I'm like using, you know, using scrap and it's super activating sexually and, uh, super activating creatively. And so it's been this beautiful, you know, and the kind of reclaiming that skill from my heritage, um, and supporting myself with it. I'm officially a full-time artist. Yes. <laughs> and, and I acknowledge everyone. We had an art nerding out moment. 100%. It was so delicious. <laughs> You feel me, right? <laughs> I do, especially with the angle of the pencil. Anyway, <laughs> um, oh, that creativity, it brings us back into ourselves. And this is a really unique, well, not unique. This is a really specific area because we often feel a lot of shame and a lot of trauma and separation from our sexual selves. And eat like that creative, oh my God, as an artist, there's so many stories that I will starve and that I won't make it, that that's, it becomes a self-fulfilling prophecy. Yeah. So that shame around creativity, that shame around freedom, that shame around expression, for it to all come together in this realm of like juicy, intimate, yummy sexuality. It's like, oh, how much power is there? <laughs> yeah, it's so much, but it, it, I, ha, I, you know, I've had to reclaim it. Yeah. You know, I spoke, I spoke to you how it was just what's today, Friday. It was just on Wednesday <laughs> that I actually came out, um, came out like, you know, I've, I've had, I've had my own, I've had an Instagram page for my work. I've had, I have just created an incredible website. Shout out to the Logan gray, my creativity doula. They birthed the most beautiful thing into the world, but on my main page, um, I haven't, I've been doing this for two years and haven't spoken about it. Right. There's all the stories I've had imposter syndrome from multiple angles, right. Of like being way too kinky for like my community and my old high school teachers and like all the people I'm friends with, like, you know, um, and then also being like not kinky enough. Right. Because like, God forbid, I like, you know, like missionary style, <laughs> like super tender, like, you know, so like kind of just in this, right. Like in this sandwich of feeling like I don't belong and being too much and too taboo. And, but, uh, so I've been meaning to come out for a year now and I finally made the post on Wednesday. Cause I'm like, well, you know, shame doesn't pay the bills, baby. You know, Ooh. like, <laughs> <laughs> oh. <laughs> oh, that was good. That was really good. <laughs> oh, yeah. it doesn't, it doesn't. And um, you said reclaiming, reclaiming is so beautiful. So you did mention like rewiring our shame pathways. Like, can you kind of drop in? What does that mean? Yeah. Right. Like, um, our nervous systems are, are, are beautiful. And we, we, I'm a huge nervous system nerd. And just like, we dig these grooves, like into ourselves, these shame, these shame grooves, um, and there's so much power in like in rewriting. And I find so much like power in kink, right? Like in, in the power of like consent and the power of, um, yeah, of choice and just like the incredible ability to rewrite those stories and to like dig new grooves, you know, and just like the, and it's so, I, there's so much more for me to explore there and to like educate myself, but like, I'm just really, um, fascinated by the intersection between like kink and, and trauma transformation and, and like what, what is there, like where, you know, we can, we can, can, you know, yeah, we can rewrite those stories and we can, um, shame thrives in, in silence and in, in the darkness. And so like, when we can, when we can bring it out and express it, it's almost like, I have a teacher that says like, stick your head in the mouth of a, the demon and it disappears. Mm. Right. <laughs> you know, there's so many, and like, you know, I was so afraid to make this post and so many people have resonated with it. And like, so, you know, I've gotten a bunch of orders and like, you know, um, there's, there's something about like the permission, like, you know, that gives permission to others. That's like so beautiful and potent. Yeah. Um, 
and yeah, like that, that, that everything we desire is on the other side of fear, right? Exactly. <laughs> oh, that is, yeah, everything, everything we desire. Mm-hmm. Um, I love this, like re, recarving those pathways, um, feeling the beauty and the power that's in that. Um, yeah, all right. Where can people find you? What are your resources? Um, Yeah, so right now, well, I have a beautiful website. Go check it out, um, www.raptrix.com. And I'd love to tell you the like the story behind Raptrix, uh, the the name. Um, You can also find me at Raptrix on Instagram. I've got lots of yumminess there. And then at Raptor Bravo is um, my main Instagram page. And I've like talked a lot there about about my journey with my body and like the the unfolding that's happened there. And there's a lot of my writing there. So that's a good place. but just quickly, the the rap the word raptrix, it means it in Latin, um, she who carries away and ravishes. Ooh. And I'm I'm gonna put and consensually ravishes. Let's make make sure we got always gotta get a consent in there. <laughs> oh my god! Congratulations on coming out. Like that is it's such a big one. And when we allow ourselves to share and be shameless and let go of our own fears in connecting, people get to relate to us. Like you said, like everything is coming in, everything is happening because you moved through that shame and that fear. And you can only do that through cutting those pathways with trauma. Like, I'm so glad you belong in this community. (laughs) And you feel belong, yeah. Yeah. Deeply grateful for you and for giving me this opportunity, you know, to further open my voice, you know. (laughs) And it's and it's tied to our genitals. (laughs) Oh my God, everything is. (laughs) (laughs) Oh yes, thank you. Um, and before we wrap up, I know you were gonna note about like that trauma the connection to that and the healing when it comes to kink. Um, mm. And like, I just want to put put in there for people, kink is very cathartic. Mm. Like the ability to relive and alter the way that we've related to things in our lives is very powerful. I mean, yeah. yeah. And I invite everyone out there to develop an understanding. Yeah. yeah. There's so much there. Yeah, absolutely. All right. Thank you, everyone, for being on the show today. Mm-hmm. Thank you, Allie. Thank you. Thank you. <laughs> yes. um, all right, everyone. Uh, the ItCast is our community outreach podcast that aims to increase diversity in conversations on health and sexuality. Through this work, we are creating a world where all people feel loved, honored, and respected. The, you can, yes. You can support our work uh, and learn more about everything we do at the uh, theitcast.com. Also subscribe to this YouTube channel right here and share with your community. Go tell everyone. Thank you. And we will see you here next week.